The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Seven minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning into AM Live this morning. And it is now time for the Forum at Eight. Yesterday, the world commemorated the International Day of Tolerance. The 16th of November every year is a day that's set aside by the United Nations to promote social cohesion for peaceful coexistence around the world. So looking at the situation in South Africa, we then have to ask ourselves whether we are doing enough to promote the discourse of human rights, of culture, diversity, social and religious, uh, religious tolerance in our society. And the question we are asking you this morning on the forum is, how can tolerance be countered? And uh, this is, of course, a, a discussion that I think is very important because when you think of the South African situation, um, words like oppression, racism, discrimination are words that we are all too familiar with. So the lines are open and you can join in the discussion by calling us on 0891-104-208. You can also SMS us on 34701, tweet or Facebook at AM Live on SAFM. And our guest this morning, uh, Professor Melissa Stain, who is the National Research Chair on Critical Diversity Studies and the Director of the WIT Center for Diversity Studies. Thank you so much for speaking to us this morning, Professor Stain. Good morning. It's a pleasure. And we also have with us Roshan Dadu, who is the Regional Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. Thanks for your time as well, Roshan. Good morning and thank you as well. Now, Prof, if I can start with you, um, what are the common issues related to prejudice and tolerance that arise on a daily basis? Which are the common issues? Yes. Is that what you're asking me? Correct. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of it has to do with the kinds of ways in which we construct our understanding of ourselves and others through the way in which we talk on a daily basis, the way in which we we shape our emotions in relation to each other. Um, So that's sort of like that's the groundwork that gets laid for perpetuating particular kinds of prejudices or particular kinds of of assumptions about, about people. Um, so, so you know, the, the, the kinds of things that we see when we, when we have these horrible incidents that upset us or, you know, these, these are sort of like the most extreme manifestations or expressions that actually come out and become visible. Um, but for those to happen, there has to be a lot of stuff going on just in terms of the way we're talking about each other in our everyday lives. And, um, you know, obviously one would think that it is best to teach children about this when they are still young. And it then immediately calls into question the role that parents need to play in terms of teaching their children how to be tolerant of others. But uh, this is not, it cannot be an easy task, Roshan, given especially as South Africa, our background um, uh, steeped in racism. Whose responsibility is it then? Because often you would think that black parents would think that uh, they need to almost prepare their children for intolerance and white parents, on the other hand, uh, need to teach their children tolerance. Well, I think, um, you know, for us, we work mostly with refugees and migrants in South Africa and we deal primarily with um, intolerance that affects those communities. And I think it's not just parents' responsibilities or something that individuals um, 
although they need to do things on their own as well. I mean, some of the things are being aware of what people's rights and responsibilities are, both as whether it's as migrants, as uh, South Africans from different communities, um, and to, to make sure that the Constitution and the provisions for equal rights in the Constitution are upheld and that people are able to access justice to ensure that those rights become entrenched and become societal norms. Mm, but again, you know, it, it's a very difficult thing I would uh, like to contend in South Africa because we talk about unity in diversity and, and, and obviously we want people to embrace their difference. Um, but it's a difficult thing because we talk more and more about um, tribalism in South Africa today. How do we promote that diversity without necessarily incurring, uh, you know, negative side effects, Prof? Well, you know, I think obviously what you're asking is complex, but I think there are certain basic civic behaviors that we should be teaching that should become absolutely, as Russian said, social norm. This, this is, to me, these things are as basic as potty training. You know, you just children just have to be taught this stuff. We all just have to know if you're living. In a society, particularly a society characterized by diversity, as all societies are these days, um, you have to you have to know how to behave yourself in ways that maintain the social fabric. So things like you don't dress up like other people, making them sort of look demeaning and then laugh at that and say it's a joke. You know, you don't you don't use use ethnic slurs. You don't. Um, um, you know, you don't mock each other's accents. I mean, that kind of thing is just really, really basic. And no child should be, you know, finishing school and um, going into adulthood without understanding that, the, you know, you just don't do those things. But that's very, very, very basic. And that we should absolutely be able to achieve. It's basic, but how do people teach that which they do not know? Well, that is true. And so there's there's a way in which we all need to be stepping into our leadership. Um, it's not something that only comes sort of from government. It can't be left to that way. But but leadership in, in, in all aspects of life, you know, whether it's in schools, whether it's in um, churches, whether it's in, um, you know, community activities, People have got to have got to sort of take on the task of becoming more aware and more conscious, and we've got to be doing a lot more of that. And and, and what can we do right now, Russian? Would you say um, to try and counter intolerance? Because again, as I was saying to Prof, it's a difficult thing because people don't know these children learn these prejudices from home. It's not something that they wake up and are born with. So, what do we need to do as a society? Well, I think there are a number of things at a number of different levels, but um, one of the things just following on from the previous conversation is also around having confidence in ourselves, that if we feel confident, we're able to better um, tackle or challenge people when we see people being intolerant as well. And I think that confidence also comes from how people treat us, so it's kind of a as something that affects everyone in society, mm. and in that sense we all have responsibility for. But in terms of leadership in schools and so on, I think one of the things certainly for non-nationals in this country is that where there are basic rights afforded in the Constitution that don't impinge upon the rights of South Africans in any way, 
It's simply saying everyone has an equal right to basic education and basic health care. Then we need to really work with those service providers to ensure that, unlike at the moment, people fulfill those rights and do give people the treatment that they are um, entitled to or enroll children for school that where they are entitled to. And once you start to do that, especially, as you said, in education and schools, and you start to have children that are growing up together and growing up in the same community, of course, we hope that that will encourage children to not see each other as the other or to question if they hear that from other people because they'll be growing up knowing that people are pretty much the same and pretty much facing pretty much the same challenges. Mm. And then you have issues like morality. You know, you look at uh, uh, rival religious beliefs, freedom of expression and those sort of things. And obviously it's, it's a lot more difficult to agree with that which your uh, religious background, for example, is disagreeable with. But again, how do we then get people to actually tolerate others, you know, uh, who disagree with them vehemently on very, very basic concepts? Prof? Are you asking me? Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's again an interesting question, and I do want to just um, loop back to what Roshan has said. Um, you know, I think the, the, the question of, of um, being bystanders is also very, very important in terms of educating our society. It's, you know, also being prepared to speak up and to interrupt where we do see um, actions happening or comments being made that are demeaning of another person you know, where, where people are being intolerant. So I think that's a very, very important um, concept and something that we all need to sort of like be developing the courage to do that. But when it comes to the, the question of morality, I think, I think the one thing that we have to recognize is that when we're talking about a society that is characterized by difference, the only kind of, of you know, belief system that we, that we can't allow is one that refuses to allow other belief systems. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, but, uh, you know, so we actually, yeah, we have to, we, we have to refuse to have um, people who believe that for me to be right, I have to not allow anybody else to think differently. And that, that's what we have, that kind, of, that kind of attitude is what we have to tackle. Does tolerance also then not mean that we need to um, actually accept and tolerate intolerance? Uh, well, that's, that, that's what I'm saying. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the one thing we shouldn't allow. <laughs> I mean, I think if maybe we look at a particular incidents, you know, it, it also becomes clearer when you see attacks in, in uh, our neighborhoods on people um, whether they're attacks on foreigners, particularly foreign shopkeepers, has been uh, something that's happening on a weekly basis throughout the country, and attacks on people because of their sexual orientation. I think we can say that you know attacking people, brutal crimes, uh, murder is something that we don't want to tolerate in our society. Yes, we're making a judgment as as all South Africans, that this is not okay. And therefore, when those sort of um, incidents occur, particularly when they are based on, on, on a feeling of intolerance towards somebody else, we need to take action and do something about it and make sure that we do have the legal systems in place. 
and the, the access to justice for people who feel they can say, no, this is not okay, a crime has been committed here, whether or not you agree or disagree with the person, we shouldn't be able to go around killing each other based on our intolerances, and so that's why we're particularly concerned with working with the Department of Justice on developing hate crime legislation that would um, enable the motivation for those crimes to be taken as, as, a, as a means of, of uh, prosecution. Well, we are discussing tolerance this morning on the Forum at 8. Yesterday, the world commemorated the International Day of Tolerance. And with us this morning, Professor Melissa Stain, as well as Roshan Dadu. And we are discussing this particular matter and asking you, how can intolerance be countered in South African society? Of course, this is a worldwide phenomenon. But let's start by looking at ourselves. What can we do in South Africa? And do you understand, you know, when we talk about unity in diversity, what that actually means and how do we put that into practice? 891 is the number to dial. You can also SMS us on 34701, tweet or Facebook at Sakina Kamwendo or at AM Live on SAFM. Let's go to the lines. Zenzile in Cape Town, thanks for holding. Hi, good morning, Satina. This is a very interesting discussion. Good morning to you, Kev. You know, the the one thing that I that I find about the society, I, I spent about 15 years in exile, and since I've come back to this country, I've seen um, our dream being ripped away from us. I've seen, I've seen a growing sense from the apex of society. For instance, it, at Parliament, the other day, where there, there's an absolute inability to allow a discussion about what is happening with the, why the president, uh, um, uh, whether the president or not should be involved. We, 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 when, when, when people close down, intolerance occurs when people want to enforce hegemony, and so that's what, the, and, and, and so the cultural hegemony is, is, is part of the reason why you have uh, um, the xenophobia, the political hegemony is, 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 you know, bringing a riot squad into into a national parliament is a national disgrace. They are on the on the same level as Stalin. Now that is what you're telegraphing to the rest of the world. And the intolerance in the union movement, where Numsa doesn't want to support the ANC, so you say you want to kick them out. So you have an, a, 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 one of the greatest threats to to tolerance is a Germany is trying to enforce your will, in, including majoritarianism, over other people and not wanting to hear the other side as if they have no rights under the Constitution to question what you're doing. All right. Uh, that's Enzile's view in Cape Town. Felix in Nailsprey. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, Felix. Yes, I hope you can hear me very well. I can hear you clearly. Yes. I just wanted to say that we have to look at the fundamental issues with tolerance. It has to do with the feeling of superiority. Now, if I am rich and I think that I am much more important than you because you are poor, then how can I tolerate you? How can I tolerate your view? If I am white and I think I am far more important and superior to you because you are black, how can I tolerate you? And this is the fundamental issues we should talk about when we talk about tolerance. We should be able to educate each other and say no matter who you are, no matter what you have achieved in life, you are still as equal to everybody and everybody in the whole world. So then you'll be able to tolerate everybody and be able to listen to them. 
All right. Thank you so much uh, for that input there, Felix, in uh, Nelspreet. And we'll uh, ask our guests for their views on your comments, your uh, questions there as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Forum at 8. This morning we are asking you, how can intolerance be countered? And this at the back of a World uh, International Day of Tolerance, which was celebrated yesterday. And our guests this morning, Professor Melissa Stain and Roshan Dadu. And uh, we took two callers and I just want to run through some of the tweets that have come through on this. Uh, Manilisi Pungula says, we should rather teach each uh, uh, the other to accept one another rather than tolerate one another. So that distinction there. Uh, Humutsu Maluleka says, the mere fact that foreign communities continue to increase reflect our tolerance levels as a country. Emmanuel says, uh, does tolerance have levels or degrees? At which point can a person lose tolerance? And uh, Tammy Tutswana says, intolerance will let a tribalism continue. A better approach is to mixing all races and cultures in our communities. Those are some of the comments for now. But uh, I just want to get some response from our panel before the news. Uh, let's start with uh, you, Roshan. Uh, this question here, or rather the comment by Komoto uh, that says, the mere fact that foreign communities continue to increase reflect that we are tolerant as a country. Well, I think that's quite a good point. And I think it shows that, yeah, of course, we have the capacity to be tolerant and um, to welcome people who are from other countries into our communities and to understand why they might be coming here. I think that, you know, it, within that there's often um, hostilities uh, within communities. But, um, you know, I think that's a very good point to make and that therefore we do need to to make sure that people are afforded their basic rights, citizens and non-citizens alike. But I think on some of the other points, I don't think it's true. Tolerance isn't something that's just up in the air that wafts around and we should all be nice to each other. I think we do sometimes have to fight for our rights to be treated with respect and with dignity and in accordance with, um, with the constitution of our country. And, you know, it's true where we see those spaces being closed down, where debate is, is being closed down in some way or intolerance is allowed to flourish, we do need to to take action, you know, in our own lives, in our own spaces, social lives and family lives to do something about it, at least to raise, you know, to raise the issues. Um, and yes, it's true, power imbalances in society, the legacy of apartheid um, and the economic disparities in our society do create situations where people are less tolerant or feel that less need to afford dignity and rights to people that they feel superior to. And I think this recent, almost a wave, it seems, of attacks, um, racist attacks by particularly white men, kind of random attacks, are a sign of, mm-hmm. of another form of intolerance in our society. And we do need to fight back against that and assert ourselves. Um, and our rights not to be treated in this way, and that these kind of incidents are crimes, stopping people in cars and beating them up and attacking them with shamboks or axes or whatever. Whatever the reason for your, your, your feeling of, of a disagreement should not be tolerated by our society and, and is not by our, by our rules, i.e. our constitution. And I think we do, all of us, need to try and defend that. Mm. And then also the issue of uh, hegemony, uh, which Zenzile was talking about, Prof? 
Yes, well, I think that, that you know, our, our listeners have made very, very important comments, um, Sakina, um, because, because the question of hegemony, the question of superiority, all of these things speak to power and to unequal power. And, and it's true that in a society, power is never really equally distributed. So, so inserting a discourse of tolerance into society is about managing power flows. It's about maintaining a check on the power flows because, you know, it, it, it's saying that it's not okay to obliterate the other just because you can do that. You have to hold your power, um, you know, and, 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 and check and constrain your, your own capacities to, to do whatever you like in relation to um, more vulnerable or less or marginalized or, or less powerful people. So the point about tolerance and degrees, I think, emerges out mm. of that, and it's a very important point, because tolerance is really like the minimal thing that we need for living together in societies. It's the basic, basic thing of can we just allow people to coexist? Mm. So it's not, it's not even like a terribly, um, could I say, sort of like um, advanced position in terms of, of, of behavior and and consciousness. Um, you know, so, so obviously we really would like something more. We would like people to appreciate differences, to value differences, to value each other, and create social cohesion through those kinds of attitudes. But tolerance is a very, very baseline. It's about saying, you know, you, you actually just can't hurt another person. Just because, you, just because you have the power to do that. Yeah, and I think it's important to also recognize that uh, the obliteration that you talk about, you know, is perhaps also an extreme. And then there's a lead up, you know, uh, there are those degrees or levels perhaps that our listener was pointing out that uh, would eventually lead to that. I think yesterday the world commemorated International Day of Tolerance. And this morning on the forum at eight, we ask you, how can intolerance be countered in conversation uh, with Roshan Dadu and Professor Melissa Stain this morning? And uh, let's get back to the lines. Oh, eight, nine, one, one, oh, four, two, oh, eight. Haley in Joburg. Thanks for holding. Hi. Good morning, ma'am, to you and to your listeners. Hi. Good, ma'am. It's very important in tolerance. There is no tolerance in South Africa, I want to say. I'm saying from the refugee background, I'm an African, Ethiopian, South African. Uh, I've been here nearly 20 years in South Africa. What I can see and observe, the stigma of the apartheid, the grouping of the people, white group alone, Indian group alone, colored group alone, black group alone, when we arrive here, we are confused where we're going to mix ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what I want to cut the matter short, other refugees, when we interact and live in, among the community in South Africa, you know, everywhere we're working. So as one of the chairperson of the Ethiopian community in this country, and then what I see, a lot of intolerance, people are dying for five rand a time. People are dying for the lack of the language or the barrier of the communication. You know, a lot of mess is happening. More than 42, 43,000 Ethiopians murdered. It's amazing in the history, untold history for the world, what I can say to you. You can go in the witness, Ethiopian Addis Ababa airport when the body receiving, 
and the Johannesburg airport when the cargo sending, you can witness. When I discover this crime committed because of the intolerance, when somebody is doing business in your country, you can kill. I'm not talking about only Ethiopians. Many people, South Africans, Nigerians, you can call, especially the refugee groups, Somalians, many are killed in this country. All of the murder and the killing happen because of very, very minor things. How do we can build the nation of South Africa? What? In the coming future, there's a lot of people living in this country. Let's say a foreign migrant. Most of the foreign migrants, it's becoming the economic power or engine for the nation. They are building, they are working, they are investing in this country. But the government couldn't do much to stop these problems and to teach their people. You can start from xenophobia only 2008. Every single day, a service toy toy starts in the nation. They go and they clean up the looting. You go to the platinum belt in Rustenburg. I've been there and the check. Every foreigner shop was cleaned out. There's nothing at all. So there's no United Nations. There's no NGO. Nobody support them. The okay. refugee communities, let me explain, sorry. The refugee communities start a business for survival. Most of them, they don't have a business skill or they study about the business. So it started from the survival to survive. What they can do? There's not in a luxury zone. Let me tell you, when I leave Ethiopia, when I arrive in South Africa, I see in a challenge zone. There's no one can assist me in food accommodation and whatever. So what I have to do? Nearly 20 years. Let me tell you personally. Okay, I'm going to have to move on, Haley. I've got other callers also waiting. So, uh, but I think you've made your point, and I'll get uh, our guests to respond to it. Thanks for the call, Lorraine. You're in Morningside. Good morning. Good morning, to you, Sakina, and your guests and the listeners out there. Thanks for taking my call, Sakina. I'd just like to say that I think when it comes to intolerance, we skirt around issues. For a number of reasons, I think, but primarily because we're afraid to talk about these things openly and honestly, and we need to confront them now because it's all intertwined with cohesion as well. And I think as a country, we are, on the surface, we seem to be, you know, living together happily, but we are not. It's a race issue, I would Mm. say that. And we boldly brings up amongst ourselves for stupid reasons in many instances. And let me quantify why I'm saying what I do. I'm from a mixed lineage, so I'm fortunate to have grown up in a family where we spoke English and Zulu. In fact, if my family was still alive, most of them, you'd wonder what's going on here because there were some who spoke Afrikaans, and if they were behind a closed door, you'd think they're Afrikaans speaking. And I'm going to speak primarily for KZN because that's where I'm from. You go to a public facility, and I've witnessed this, and try and speak to somebody, not everybody, unfortunately, but the sad thing is most people get tainted with the same brush in a language that you too don't speak. Perhaps the person speaking to you in Zulu and you speaking in another language. And the, uh, the response would be, you know, either totally ignore you or demand that you speak their language. And I think it starts with the subtle things. Mm. We need to accept that people are different. We didn't all grow up in the same areas or whatever. So if you don't know the history of that person, you have no right to judge them even if you do. But let's start with little things. If somebody speaks to you in English and you can't reply, tell them that you don't speak English and come to some 
sort of compromise or improvise, you know, okay. meet each other halfway. But don't expect somebody to speak Zulu because you speak Zulu or speak English perfectly because you speak English or vice versa. All right. And, you know, I have so much to say, but I'm just going to leave it right there. For now. Thank you so much, Lorraine and uh, Durban. Uh, let's speak to Zenan in Belleville. Good morning, Zenan. Yes, good morning. Um, yes, I want to say I think I, I support tolerance. Uh, I think it's a, it's a wonderful concept and it certainly is necessary in, in um, you know, multi-ethnic societies. But um, I think up to the point where we are able to appreciate other people's cultures and religions, etc., and to tolerate their right to, to have those beliefs, I, I support that. I think the problem with tolerance is that it ends up being a, a process, a slow process that moves from uh, tolerance that's encouraged as, as, uh, towards something that forces you to accept another point of view as being equally valid. I think that's a very important distinction that one has to make, the difference between allowing other people to have their beliefs that's different from yours and peacefully coexisting, and then subtly as the legislation changes and, and the, the hate crime legislation that your guest referred to starts being implemented, it slowly starts being changed into a system where uh, people start demanding and coercing you often towards being forced to accept the other person's point of view as being equally valid to your own. And that, to me, is, is unacceptable. Mm. Because I think what you see there is then the slow death of freedom of, of thought and belief and speech. And some examples of that would be, you know, in, in Texas, just a couple of weeks ago, the, the mayor of, of Dallas uh, subpoenaed all the uh, pastors in, in Dallas uh, and told them that they had to present their sermons to her, to the mayor's office for approval, before they could preach those sermons in case it contained something that she regarded as being offensive to, to homosexual to the homosexual community. Um, you know, in Canada a few years ago, in the last decade, a judge ruled that certain verses in the Bible might may not be used because it's, it's considered to be homophobic. Mm-hmm. That was later overruled on appeal. But this is my problem. I think that it starts off with, with a, a concept that I support, which is let's let us peacefully coexist and allow other people to have beliefs that are, that's different from our own. And you end up with a situation where, like when I was in the UK, you see posters on, in public spaces where people are encouraged to report other people in the society for hate speech. And that hate speech is then defined by a normally a, very, a fairly small uh, politically correct elite. Mm. It, it, and it so just... it has a chilling effect on, on freedom of, of, of thought and belief, etc. And, and, and to that extent, I would not support it. Very, very interesting and very complex issues that we are getting into. Thanks for that, okay, uh, Zinan in Belleville. Because then it also raises the issue, the question of democracy as we see it, as we perceive it, and this notion of the winner takes all. And, you know, how does that promote tolerance? Temba and Alexandra, good morning. The one thing that the Supreme gentleman was right about is the residential geography in this country is still apartheid as it was. So it must inform him that very little has changed anything. The only thing that has changed, we can vote, and those who are connected and uh, are able to can move to the suburbs. But the crime of, of, of destroying businesses and attacking people when there is a a, a, a service protest. He must not make a mistake of believing that it then only targets Ethiopians or, uh, or 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 or, uh, or, or uh, South Africans or foreign descent in our country. It targets any business. I've got I've got relatives whose shops in the townships were bent down during this um, uh, service protest.
Mm. I've got cars that were stoned. People who never even knew that there was a service protest. They were just driving on merrily, and suddenly stones come raining on their cars. And whilst there are problems, we shouldn't exaggerate. For him to say that 46,000 Ethiopians are being killed in this country, uh, if I was Ethiopian, I wouldn't even want to remain in this country anymore. Okay. It's happening to all of us, and it's something we need to address, and it's it's a relic of apartheid. We have not changed it. We are not addressing it. And to the extent that we are not addressing it and, and, and... and dealing with the issues of material conditions of the people on the ground, forget about tolerance. All right, this is proving to be uh, rather difficult, but then again, uh, we didn't have, I didn't have to say it because it's evident. Charles in Cape Town, good morning. Hi, um, you and your guests. Um, I just wanted to, to, to say, I mean, we've been 20 years, everyone speaks 20 years of democracy and, you know, improvement of our lives. But it seems in, in Cape Town, time has stood, stood still. I mean, you know, if you, you go anywhere in Cape Town, basically no matter where you go, you as a black person, you wouldn't be made welcome. Be it in the supermarkets, been the attitude of the, the cashiers, wherever you go. And that's so sad. And, and every time you hear, no, Cape Town is the best run province. But that doesn't matter. The, the whole intolerance attitude of, of, of the, 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 the population there makes it so sad that, I mean, 20 years of democracy, you know, that, that you, you can't even go, you, you know, any black person is not even welcome, you know, for, for this wonderful country where. Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, uh- Charles there in Cape Town. Let me read a few messages before I revert to the panel. Um, let's start with the SMSs. Terence Brink and Kimberly says, when it comes to religion, South Africa is really tolerant compared to other countries around the world. Joe says, social cohesion is a very nice sounding concept, but until humanity recognizes the need for genuine socioeconomic transformation as a starting point, it will remain a pipe dream. Anthony says, we must not be tolerant of corruption and incompetence. Dave in the Eastern Cape's contribution is that um, he wants to know when will black and white realize that everyone is born equal and stop wasting time on race issues and work hard to get the country back on track otherwise we are doomed. Matla in Benoni says how does one tolerate foreigners who are destroying our youth through Nyaope and other drugs and still enjoy protection from government when such concerns are raised and we are labeled as being xenophobic and generally SABC does not read such a SMSs. Wow. And uh, this one says, uh, we as uh, South African English speakers have our tolerance tested daily on SAFM every day as we hear our mother tongue being mangled. But we are coping. Joe White says, why did the black-owned SABC deprive the enthusiastic white cricket and rugby fans of watching their teams play internationally this weekend? Intolerance? Question mark. David Mtunzi says tolerance is a success only if, as people, we first at peace with ourselves, 
even in our diversity. This one says, since quota systems have been introduced in junior sport, children have become very color conscious and resentful. And then Martha says, our National Assembly needs lessons in tolerance. Uh, Also, the Labor Federation, nobody has the right to tell me where to put my ex. And those some of the messages, I'll read a few more. But let me just go to the panel to get a response from some of the very interesting comments and questions that have been raised. Um, Roshan? Yes, thank you. Well, there has been a whole range of uh, issues raised. I mean, I think that, that you know, it's true that the people who've raised the fact of, of uh, the legacy of apartheid and that in many ways we haven't dealt with all the, the issues that, um, that apartheid caused, the rifts in our society. And I think, you know, we do, tolerance is something we have to fight for, we have to work towards, and it's part of the ongoing struggle for economic justice as well. I think, you know, we have now got a constitution and we do have a set of rules that promote tolerance and promote or ought to social cohesion and um, dignity and um, equal rights. And But it's not that it just happens like that. I think we have to keep fighting and keep raising these these issues when they occur and keep badgering government if necessary, service providers, Within communities, we've been doing a lot of peace-building work with Action for Southern Africa and the SACC, where there have been um, xenophobic riots, as was mentioned by the Ethiopian uh, South African caller, and trying to work with communities to, to have open discussions and to say, you know, what is going on? Do, what, do, what would you like to see when people have been displaced? And, and very often, in fact, nearly always, community people say, no, we would do want those non-nationals to come back and reopen their shops um, and it's not the entire community that's been involved in chasing them out and then looking at ways of how to do that how to deal with the suspicions that there are how to deal with finding the commonalities and I think if we can find commonalities in our struggles we're in a stronger position because very often we might blame the wrong people for our problems for mm-hmm. instance when there have been uh, cases of People saying, oh, but foreigners are taking RDP houses. When it comes down to it, South Africans have got those houses and have rented them out then to foreigners. So the problem is in the system of distributing the houses, actually, more than who's, who is currently living in them. So I think, you know, that often we might displace our or misplace um, our protests um, onto people who maybe it isn't actually their fault. And, and in doing that, we miss take it, making sure that, that, in that case, if it's the government or the local authority, mm. actually do their job. So I think, you know, we're, we're, our struggle is stronger if we find the commonalities. It's not an easy process, of course, and the number of different issues that have been raised show the very different ways in which people uh, look at this issue and feel about this issue. But I think it is, you know, we, we do have to take the small gains we have won since 1994 and we have to really fight to, to increase those gains and make those kind of basic rights and uh, fundamental human rights um, part of our struggle for economic justice and for a, a, a society in which we feel we have the common <laughs> commonalities and common issues and that together we might have a stronger voice for moving forward into a, a more fairer society in the future. Prof? Sure, yes, there are just so many things that I'd love to I'd love to respond to. So let me just say one or two. 
Um, I think people must be really careful um, not to lump things together that don't belong together. We obviously have to speak with some discernment. So just because a foreign person is selling drugs, it's not the foreigners that is the problem, it's the drugs. The drugs are an illegal activity, you know, selling drugs to children, whether they're, whether they're South African or not. So, so that, that is the question that has to be dealt with. And I think we, we have to sort of like um, separate that. So we're not talking about tolerating illegal behavior. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. Okay, then the other thing is, you know, the question about um, um, people sort of like attacking foreign people, I think that, that a, lot of, a lot of these issues have to do with questions of entitlement. Um, and and in this in this particular case, it would be entitlement as people who feel that they belong to the nation. You know, they they the, they the, they the true citizens. And and a lot of these issues of intolerance do go back to the woundedness that is really at the heart of our society as South Africa. That we that we've really still got a lot of work to do in dealing with. So mm. for people, for people who have not had the benefits of citizenship for a very long time, I mean, it's only 20 years ago that black South Africans were not regarded as full citizens. So, so for them, there's a kind of a fragility, I think, at at the heart of the sense of their nationhood, which which I think is something that we also still have to deal with. And it would be similar if we look at things like the the hate crimes that happen against, say black lesbian woman, it's obvious because there's a kind of a woundedness that, that is, um, you know, that is found in, in, in African masculinities um, that would also have to do with the history of having been emasculated or, or insulted by, by apartheid and, and that system um, and how it affected their sense to be, you know, able to be a man. So, in, in in you know, in ways that 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 they would regard as as important. So, I think that we have to we have to check out a lot of these woundednesses that need to be healed in order for us to be able to move forward. But at the heart of a lot of this is the sense that people feel that they are entitled to define the other. Mm, and. and, and and this is something that we really, really have to to look at because dominant positionalities feel that they have that that right. So the person who, who spoke about, um, you know, intoler- intolerance that that is sort of like the end of a process when you when you're sort of like legislating around tolerance and it sort of turns around and you find that that you know. Um, uh, heterosexual people are being policed about not saying homophobic things. And as usual, time is the enemy here this morning, so we have to unfortunately wrap it up. Uh, the question we were asking this morning is how can in, uh, intolerance be countered? And uh, looking at some of the tweets here, Mboni says, uh, firstly, by tolerating oneself, that's the step to encounter tolerance, then respect everything that you do. And uh, looking at some of the tweets very quickly, um, Zubair Sayed says, on cultural intolerance, why not teach some sociology and social anthropology at schools to reduce fear of the other, which is quite a good suggestion. Lungile Ntusi says Africans are not intolerant in nature. Uh, the haves uh, 
the levels of it have been catalyzed by our history. Until we deal with that, then there's no hope. Tsepisi Mokwena says uh, two schoolboys fighting carrying knives last week was only because of racial attacks at age Eight, intolerance already exists amongst them. Eddie Shongwe says a class, race, culture and any other form of intolerance is unacceptable in a civilized society. Emmanuel's contribution, tolerance is a double-edged sword and those who complain about lack of tolerance expose themselves for lack of tolerance. And Zola D. Life says we need well-institutionalized diversity unit to formally monitor school cohesion uh, social cohesion rather, cultural diversity and uh, we need a public workshops as well. And to our guests this morning, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Professor Melissa Stain, who is the National Research Chair on Critical Diversity Studies and uh, Director of the WIT Center for Diversity Studies, and also to Roshan Dadu, who is the Regional Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you very much. And to our producers, as always, Sisanda Jonas, Buntle uh, Mutswatswe, also Jake Mukoma and Misho Shandlale, uh, senior producer, Lungile Mabaso and Chilizi Chibase, foreign producers, Ronald Piri and Ntswaki Tu, uh, technical producer this morning, Mark Preller, specialist producer, uh, Budzi Lukoto, and executive producer, Aubrey Sachia. Thank you so much for making sure it all went out loud and clear. And to you, our listeners, as always, thanks for your fantastic and uh, eager participation as always. It's nine o'clock and time for news with Vabakshni Chetty.